0: And revelation from God is simply God opening your eyes to see something that you've never seen before. One of the first times this happened to me was, as a new Christian in 1975, Matthew 24. And as he, Jesus, sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. As I read that, I thought they would come saying that they were Christ. And God explained it to me, no. They will come saying Jesus is the Christ, and because they say that, they will deceive many. Most of us would never pay attention to them if they came saying they are the Christ. Another revelation from the Spirit of God, and this was in 1982 when I was reading the Bible, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul said, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And God said to me, it is not that people will fall away from church and leave church. The churches are going to fall away from Scripture. Then I had another revelation on this same passage in 2017. I heard the word restrain. And I knew that was in uh, the Second Thessalonians 2, but in the NASB. And you know what restrains him now, what restrains Antichrist now. And I sat there and I thought, well, what does restrain Antichrist now? I don't know what restrains him. And I clearly heard the removal of the scriptures restrains Antichrist. And then this passage of scripture made sense. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, Jesus the Scriptures, who now restrains, will do so until he, the Word, Jesus, is taken out of the way. And then Antichrist moves into the churches. This was an extremely important bit of information for me because I had tried to find a church to attend for 20 or 30 years without success. I heard pastors adding things to the Bible that weren't there, and then when I would talk to the pastor and ask him where it was in the Bible, two of them said the same thing to me. Both of them said, I can't remember exactly where it is. And I said, well, it's very important for me to know where it is in the Bible, what you said. And I can't find it. So will you look it up and have your secretary call me and tell me where that is in the Bible? Both of these men became very, very angry with me and said, all right, it's not in the Bible. They said exactly the same words. When I saw this passage, when it was revealed to me about Antichrist being in the churches, the scriptures being removed to let Antichrist in, I knew then why I was seeing pastors who added things to the Word of God and weren't ashamed, and yet admitted they had done it, but weren't ashamed. They're Antichrist. And I know that it is ordained by God that this had to happen before Jesus returns because Paul said in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, quoting from the King James Version, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come. Jesus will not return until there is a falling away in the churches. Churches falling away from scriptures. The apostasy in the churches had to come before Jesus will return. That is what we are seeing today. When I saw that, I understood why these pastors were doing that. They were the Antichrist. Antichrist is not one man. Antichrist is a spirit that is in many men. The Apostle John told us in First John chapter 2, he said, I know you've heard that Antichrist will come. In fact, he is already here. There are many Antichrists who have been among us. In that case, they left the church because they couldn't stand the right teaching and they went out to establish denominations. That is in 1 John chapter 2. And as a new Christian, God showed me the following concerning Matthew 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God explained to me, it's not that Peter was blessed because he said Jesus is the Son of God. He was blessed because God had revealed something to him. And that's what happens with the New Testament church. The real church, the individual's, God reveals the truth to the individuals. And that is the church. And it is that revealed word from God upon which we can build our house for the gates of hell will never win out over that word that God has spoken to both you and me. The revealed word of God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which art in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, upon this rock, the revealed word of God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I had something revealed to me recently. I was writing about Solomon. And I was writing about the strange wives that God told him not to go out and get, and he went out and got them. And they pulled him away from God. And for that reason, God said, I will rend the kingdom out of your hand. And instantly, I was reminded of what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, As I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I saw the connection immediately. What did God do with Solomon? He took the kingdom away from it. What is God doing to do with those in the church who have had the truth revealed to them and willfully turn against the truth? He's going to rend the kingdom of God from them. Just like Paul said, this is to the New Testament church. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There is an entire part missing here. I don't know if it's taught in any of your churches. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 25, God says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, ourselves is interesting, isn't it? Because what he's saying is those who also have the Spirit of God, like you have, assemble with them. As the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. To exhort means to urge earnestly By advice and warning. You see me do it constantly. Exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day of the Lord approaching. Even exhort one another more. Here's the warning. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully. After that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins Jesus sacrificed himself once for all and when we are born again our prior sins are forgiven they're paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus but if you after that first born again experience go out and keep committing these sins there's no more sacrifice for your sins and in Hebrews we read, but there's a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much more punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden under foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despot unto the spirit of grace. So it's a severe warning about being enlightened to the fact of your of the sin, and then going out and recommitting that sin after being enlightened to it. To do so would be to crucify Jesus afresh. Peter describes it in Second Peter, chapter two. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, but it is happened unto them according to the true proverb: the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Second Peter chapter two verses twenty through twenty-two. Hebrews 6 tells us exactly the same thing. Hebrews chapter 6, starting at verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Here we have multiple scriptures on the same subject. Those who are born again but return to their sins after they have been enlightened to the truth. And what a horrible fate awaits them. Peter said it would be better for them if they had never been born again. It's that serious. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says something that might be their only hope. 1 Corinthians 5, there was a young man who was committing fornication in the church. Paul found out about it and he said to the elders in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, When you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And he told the whole church, Don't keep company if any brother is a fornicator. Don't keep company with him. Just put him away from you. Churches want to counsel them and pray for them. That will not work and that is not what Paul said to do. Verse 11, But now have I written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, know not to eat. Paul says that Don't judge the world. God judges the world. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? But he says, Do not ye judge them that are within. You're supposed to judge the church. They can't just come among us and do whatever they want to do and call themselves the church. Verse 13, Paul says, Them that are without, without the church, the world, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Put away from among yourselves that one who calls himself a brother in Christ when he is committing these sins of fornication, covetousness, idolatry, railer, drunkard, extortioner. Of course, a great many preachers you'd have to put away because a great many of them are extortioners, making you feel guilty For not giving more money to them. That's extortion. Using scriptures to wring money out of you would be extortioners. And a great many of the preachers today are extortioners. Don't eat with them. Put them away. The only hope that I can see for the person who says he is a brother in Christ. If he has been born again and enlightened to the truth. And then he goes out and sins again. There is no more sacrifice for his sin. And you'd have to put Jesus to death again, according to these scriptures. And that won't happen. Therefore, what you do is you put them away from you, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, says Paul, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Who is the Lord to you? When we say the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. What do you think of? Do you think of that long-haired man in a robe that many people put on the walls and think it to be a symbol of Jesus? What do you think of when it says, The Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want? What do you think of when Jesus says, I am the way. What does that mean to you? To me, it means the Word is the way. The Word is watching over me. The Word is leading me. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But in the beginning, He was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1. From the beginning of my time as being a Christian, God has shown Jesus to me as the Word. And when I see Jesus, I think of the Word. When I see in the Bible the Lord, I think of the Word. I have set the Lord always before me. Therefore, I will not be moved. That's one of the Psalms. What does that mean? I have set The Lord always before me. How can you set the Lord before you? It's the Word. I have set the Word before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be moved. That's what that means. I spend quite a bit of time meditating in scriptures that I have been exhorted by by the Holy Spirit. I like to read those scriptures every morning. I like to read them every evening and check myself by those specific scriptures. That's eating and drinking the blood of Jesus. That's the Lord's Supper. And when Paul said in First Corinthians 11, let us examine ourselves and so partake of that. It's examining ourselves by the word of God. Let us read the word of God, examining ourselves by that word. That's the Lord's Supper. The Lord, the Word, is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Are you seeing a human figure? I don't. He to me is the Word. The Word makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, the Word, leadeth me beside the still waters. He, the word, restores my soul. When I have been pulled down and turn to God and say, please restore my soul, please give me joy again, it's the word that comes to me. God brings me the word, and by that, my soul is restored. I was baptized in water when I was about 15 years old. I was not born again. I did not have the Spirit of God leading me. When I was 37, God spoke to me by His Word just coming into my mind. I was born again at that time. At that time, I owned a small business in Dallas, Texas, and I was en route to buy merchandise As the plane began to land at the airport in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I had gone to buy the Indian arts for my shop, I heard, be baptized. When God tells me something, I assume it means now. So I got off the plane and my cousin met me at the airport. And I said, Jean, if you can arrange it this afternoon, I'll be baptized. She said, but you've already been baptized. And I said, but I wasn't born again. She said, well, okay. So she did arrange it. And this was at a Church of Christ building in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was surprised for about 15 of my relatives were there at the church building to witness this before The minister baptized me. He said, would you like to say something? And I said, well, I guess so. And I just began talking to them by the Spirit of God, telling them how I had been baptized but not born again, and now I'm born again, and telling them how that happened. As I talked, I noticed one of my cousins, and she was shaking her head up and down. She understood what I was saying. I noticed my uncle. He had burst out into tears, and was crying. The minister took me up to the baptistry area, and when he lowered me into the water, I very clearly heard, this is like being buried with Christ. As I came out of the water, I very clearly heard, this is like being raised with Christ. That was a revelation from God by the Holy Spirit. I went back downstairs, and my uncle came to me, and he said, I have never heard anything like you spoke today. Could you write that out and send it to me? And I said, well, I guess so. So when I got back to Dallas, I wrote it out and sent it to him. I had, at that point in time, no idea that I was to be a minister. I owned a business. But later I realized my uncle was born again at that point when I was baptized. He was born again. That's what all that crying was about. And wanting me to write it out and send it to him because he'd never heard anything like that before. God opened his ears to hear. All we have to do is follow God. And the works of God are done. I had no thought whatsoever when I left Dallas that morning to go on that buying trip that I was going to be baptized that afternoon and that those relatives were going to be there and that this was going to happen. I had no idea. Now, God chose to do that. It has nothing to do with me. I just simply obeyed God. He's the one who chose my uncle to put him in the church. He's the one who chooses us who are born again and he chooses to reveal the word to us another word i heard a few years ago from god is in the air in the air i knew i had read that in the bible i looked it up and found it in first Thessalonians chapter 4 Paul says but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that's dead that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep, dead. We won't rise before the ones who are dead if we are still alive on this earth when Jesus returns. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, With the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Where is the kingdom of Jesus to be? It's certainly not on this earth. Jesus even said in John chapter 18, My kingdom is not of this world. It can't be on this present earth because this present heaven and earth will be destroyed by God after the great tribulation. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us that. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. When Jesus returns with a shout, the dead in Christ will rise out of the graves. They will not be in the form of this current body as we know it. God gives each of us a new spiritual body which we will live in in the eternity. Paul tells us about that in 1 Corinthians 15 which you can read for yourself. So the dead in Christ will rise in their new bodies. We who are on this earth will be taken off this earth rising in the air To meet Jesus and the others in the air. The new Jerusalem is described for us in Revelation 21. God let the Apostle John describe the new Jerusalem. The place where we will be taken after we are gathered together with Jesus. Revelation 21 verse 1. will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain why we won't have these bodies why do we have pain today It's not our spirit that has that pain. It's the physical body. Why do we have these emotions? That's the flesh, this physical body. We're not going to have that physical body. We're not going to have these bodies in heaven. We will not have these bodies. We will have another body. 1 Corinthians 15. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. As we go along, God just chooses by his own will to reveal something to us and we share it with the church as I'm sharing with you today some of the things that have been revealed to me. A few days ago, I had something revealed also. The dead in Christ will arise and Jesus said I will raise them how? the word will raise them he raises them with a shout the Lord will shout the dead in Christ rise we also will be raised by the word we have pieces of information from God just all of a sudden he'll open our eyes to see one little thing but That little thing is gigantic to me always. And sometimes it just makes a difference for months and months and months, or years even. And it keeps me going. Those are revelation from God. That's what Paul said when we come together in the church. How is it then, brethren, when you gather together? Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. What was supposed to happen when we gathered together in the church? It's not anything like you see today. We were supposed to come together and God would speak through whom he willed. And one person would have a psalm, which could be a prayer. Another person might have a revelation. Someone might have a tongue interpretation. Let all things be done and to edify. It would be a total movement of the Holy Spirit at the church group, and you would never know what was going to happen in advance. Isn't that something? I mean, you'd just come together, and one would have a word, and then another would have a word, then another would have a word. The churches today are set up so totally different from the Bible. But that's what Paul said in First Corinthians fourteen was supposed to happen. I have seen something similar to that occasionally. There used to be a Wednesday night service where people gave their testimonies and that was exciting. things God had done for them. things of God we heard not things planned by men, things of God in a Bible class that I attended at one of the churches I went to, the teacher would always say, the Bible teacher would always say, does anyone have a word from the Lord? He always opened the door for God to speak. Always. That was exciting. Most of it today is just pre-planned. I had a dream quite a few years ago. I went to a large building, a large church building. It was completely full of people, filled with people. There were no seats on the lower floor at all. I went up into the balcony to uh, find a place to sit. There was one chair available, and I sat down in it. It was behind some kind of pillar that was holding up the roof. A woman in front of me turned around and said, you can't see much from that chair. And I said, oh, there's never much to see at these places anyway. Sadly, that is the truth. Because they're set up in a way to keep man in control and provision is not made for the Spirit of God to speak. Except sometimes in the Sunday school class, there will be one person that is sensitive to this and will say something like, does anyone have a word from the Lord? Then pay attention because you're likely to really hear something. Thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.